Welcome to the Jason in the House podcast. I'm Jason Chaffetz, and uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of a debate preview. We're going to talk about the upcoming debate. It's on Wednesday, August 23rd, 9 p.m. on Fox News. Uh, you're not going to want to miss this. A whole host of people are going to show up. Not sure who the candidates are going to be that will qualify and will actually show up. Will Donald Trump be there? Will he not be there? At least as we record this, no definitive wording. With Donald Trump, you probably don't know definitively until, well, game time. So that'll be interesting. I want to talk through uh, with a few special guests and uh, figure out and get some analysis and some thoughts and some preliminary ways to think about what's about to happen. Um but first, I want to talk about some thoughts in the news. Highlight the stupid, because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. And then we'll get a few folks on the line and we'll talk about the debate and what's coming up. So one of the first things I want to mention here, it's just so devastating. It's, it's such a, my heart just goes out to the people of Hawaii. Uh, I've been very fortunate. My wife and I, we have gone to uh, several dozen times. We have gone to Hawaii. I have walked those streets of Lahaina. I've eaten at Prison Pizza is one of my favorite places uh, there. And to see the loss of life, the loss of property and memories and and livelihoods and everything else, I just, I can't even imagine what those people are going through. You know, um, as we record this, we're like right on the precipice of going over a hundred deaths, the, the worst uh, wildfire in the history of the United States of America. And it happens so fast. And, you know, there are a lot of people that try to instantly say, oh, climate this and climate that. You know what? Um, let's analyze it. Let's go back and look. But you had a lot of winds in a dry situation with non-native plants. And, you know, we'll figure that out. The most important thing to still do at this point is to help the people. Help the people of Hawaii and Lahaina and help them build those communities. I was absolutely disgusted by the president of the United States, Joe Biden, sitting beachside, ironically enough, asked by, you know, what he thinks of going out, what's going on in Hawaii. And he says, no comment. How heartless is that? I mean, he can't just wander over to the microphones and say something nice and sweet. Uh, to the people of Hawaii and, and all the suffering that's going on there. Um, look, you can go to foxnews.com and you can go to the Red Cross. Um, there are lots of ways to pour out your heart and help people financially because it's going to take a good deal of love and care and prayers, but it's also going to take a lot of money to get those people back up on their feet. So I, it'd be, I'd be totally remiss uh, without mentioning that and feeling for those people and, and pouring our, our heart out to them. Next thing I wanted to mention in the news is this discussion about Hunter Biden and Joe Biden. You know, the Democratic talking point has now morphed from Joe Biden never had a discussion about any of Hunter's business dealings to, well, Joe Biden was never in business with Hunter Biden to, well, you can't show that anybody gave Joe Biden money directly. And it's such an absurd point. And I've heard some really smart people like Jonathan Turley, uh, Andy McCarthy, who's a former, you know, he's got experience as a, as a prosecutor, um, Brett Tolman, former U.S. prosecutor, others, 
Uh, but I got to tell you, this whole idea, did the money go directly to Joe Biden? I would argue that the answer to that is yes. And what I mean by that is put yourselves in these shoes. Imagine that you are 80 years old or so, and um, money is going to your brother. Money is going to your only living son. Money is going to your um, uh, kids uh, or grandkids, I should say. Nine different people who are the immediate family member of Joe Biden. Is that a direct benefit to the president of the United States? Would that be a direct benefit to you? Yeah, I think I would argue that if there was something like, you know, 20 plus million dollars going to those people, A, I'd be curious about it. B, I would be aware of it. C, yeah, it's a direct benefit to me and my family. And it's absurd for them to suggest otherwise. Now, we hear a lot about Ukraine. We hear some more about China. But I want to tell you two quick stories that I think illuminate the proximity that Joe Biden had to this. And I could go on for hours, and maybe we should do a podcast just on on this very topic. But the Romanian situation, which I've seen a little bit written about in the New York Post, I think the... Um, uh, the Daily Mail has done some justice to this. The Romanian situation is is really a fascinating one to me. Here in Romania, the allegation is that you had a essentially a mobster, uh, somebody that was being prosecuted for bribery, that they had bribed the Romanian government officials to sell land to this particular mobster at well below market prices. And good for the Romanians, they were going to prosecute this case. Somehow, someway, this person in Romania decides to engage and want to get Hunter Biden involved. And the idea was that they wanted to put American pressure on Romanians. Now, we have very close ties to Romania. We have what's called Aegis Ashore, which is a big military. It's a, it's a, it's a ship that is in the middle of Romania. I visited it. I've seen it. We have a big military presence there, uh, missile defense type of systems. Uh, we have other very important uh, economic ties to Romania. And the thought from this mobster who was on trial was, hey, um, I need to get the Americans to lean on the Romanians to go soft on me. And so he gets involved with Hunter Biden. And Hunter Biden's solution to this is, and again, the allegation, um, Let's get Louis Free. Louis Free is the former FBI director at the Department of Justice under the Clinton administration. Let's get Louis Free to go into the Department of Justice. He's the former FBI director. He knows how to get around. He knows some people there. And they can lean on the Romanians. Let's get DOJ to do that. Well, that effort is underway. Hunter Biden goes to Romania, and they try to put the pressure on. Now, to their credit, the Romanians prosecuted this guy. They came in late in the process, and the guy was actually convicted. Um, but lo and behold, Louis Free says, Ah, gosh, I wish I had some more time to work on this case. But nevertheless, uh, and I think their ruling was wrong, but as a thank you to the Bidens, in the email traffic found on the laptop, again, the allegation is that these are true and that the email traffic shows 
that Louis Free's organization or group that he was associated with wired and put in $100,000 to Joe Biden's grandkids. And he wanted him to, they wanted those people to know about it, uh, the Bidens. And there's interesting because they put it into this bank account. Then they had to pull it back out because there was some tax provision problem. And there's all this traffic uh, email communication saying, hey, Hunter, don't worry about it. It's still going to happen. Um, oh, by the way, I need your dad's mobile phone. Um, I saw him at church, and I would love to continue to do business with you. But I'll get the $100,000 back into the grandkids' account. Now, I think most people would say, is there a direct benefit to Joe Biden by having his kids, grandkids, get $100,000 for what? For what? That's the whole crux of this thing is that Joe Biden, the brand, Joe Biden, the business, was all about Joe Biden. It wasn't because one of the grandkids or Haley Biden, who's a school counselor, had some undue influence somewhere. It's because Joe Biden was the president of the United States or the vice president of the United States, now the president of the United States. But this happened, again, during a time with wide influence. That was the brand. That was what happened. So did the money go directly to Joe Biden? No, but it went to his grandkids. Do you think they noticed that? Look, I buy somebody a soda, and next thing I know, if they, you know, it's their turn to be, buy me a Diet Coke, you know, or uh, better yet, Coke Zero. All right, one more story I want to tell you real quickly and move on with this podcast. It happened in Mexico. So Hunter Biden's been working for a long time to put together this energy uh, deal. Um, I believe it was energy in Mexico. And there comes a point where Hunter Biden is trying to arrange for when Air Force Two with the vice president on it lands in Mexico City he wants this group he's been working with. I think it's the grandson of the former president of Mexico. Carlos Slim is somehow involved in this. It, it's it's long, it's convoluted. Um, but Hunter Biden is with Jeff Cooper. Jeff Cooper, somebody you've never heard of, is Hunter's business partner. He, Hunter Biden, and Jeff Cooper... Hunter Biden's business partner, are flying on Air Force Two at taxpayer expense to fly down to Mexico City. And Hunter is communicating with them saying, hey, we want to get this deal done. We want you to come to the airport. You need to interact with my dad, the vice president of the United States, and you, I expect you to be there. And Hunter's getting very frustrated because he, he these guys are not committing to do it. But he's trying. I don't think they ultimately consummated that deal. But my understanding is Jeff Cooper flew on Air Force Two with Hunter Biden to Mexico. And Joe Biden wants to say, well, I've never had a discussion. I've never been in business. I never got it. They were trying. And uh, uh, I tell you, it's just so disgusting. Those are two examples that you may not have heard as much about. Never mind all the stuff with China and all the stuff with all these other places. All right, let's keep going. And, and by the way, I do think you can tie together the policy changes, particularly the firing of that prosecutor in, in Ukraine uh, directly to what was happening with Hunter Biden. And I can tee off on that again, but more later. 
Um, this deal that is supposedly in the works with the Iranians to do $6 billion release of Iranian oil tied to an agreement for a prisoner swap. I'd love to get the American prisoners back, no doubt about it. But, you know, Donald Trump got out, what, 55-plus prisoners? We weren't paying money. We weren't—it wasn't a quid pro quo. It wasn't a hostage payment. And I think what's—and and again, the story's early. We're just learning about it. But $6 billion loosened up to help Iran to get out the, these, uh, you know, Americans that shouldn't have been detained. Really worried about that. Two more things I wanted to comment about the news. Uh, Senator Paul demanding a U.S. prosecutor at the Department of Justice charge Dr. Fauci for lying to Congress. A, I think he lied to Congress. I do think there should be a federal prosecutor. Senator Paul's right with all the other news going on out there. I didn't want to let that slip. And speaking of slipping, and not in a nice way, not in a, it's, it's really sad, but Senator Feinstein in the hospital after a fall. Now, keep in mind, she's the oldest member of Congress, House and Senate. She's 90. She slipped. She fell. Now, she just missed three months of being in Congress because she had shingles. She does not look good. Let's just be honest about it. She doesn't look like she can fully function. There comes a point where now that she's taken another fall and cannot complete her duties, it's time to resign and it's time to allow somebody else to fill that role. And I think there's some really weird games going on there with California and who'd be the next senator and Gavin Newsom's uh, participation and certainly Nancy Pelosi's. I think they've been trying to run out the clock to get her to the end of 2024 so that they could uh, you know, get somebody else in there. But there comes a point where it really... We can't have this. You can't have a fully functional Congress and, and Senate in, in this type of situation. And it's sad. Uh, and I feel for her, want her to fully recover. But um, I don't know that that's going to be the case in this situation. All right. Time to bring on the stupid because, you know, there's always somebody doing something stupid somewhere. All right. What I'm finding is pretty stupid is uh, Special Counsel Jack Smith. He's, of course, going after President uh, Trump. But we found out that back in January, this is new news, back in January, served a subpoena on Twitter because they wanted to get at President Trump's Twitter account. Now, Twitter did not immediately respond. They felt like they had some policies they wanted to put in place um, and had some issues they delayed the production of these documents, and then they were fined by the Department of Justice $350,000 for an untimely response. That needs to be flushed out, folks. I'm telling you, why the federal government is issuing a subpoena to go read somebody's tweets? <laughs> Yikes, really? That's what we got to do? I find that to be fairly stupid. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more right after this. Well, Brett Bear, thank you so much for joining us on this uh, Jason in the House podcast. I do appreciate it. We are very much looking forward to this debate. You're a veteran doing this, but between <laughs> you and Martha, this is going to be entertaining. And it, it doesn't seem like it's any of these are ever predictable. Did did you ever go through one that was predictable? And uh, what do you, what do we anticipate? Yeah, Jason, good to be with you. I think, listen, uh, I think this is my ninth, my ninth GOP primary debate. And um, 
the thing that is predictable is that it is very unpredictable. There's always a moment right. that is uh, not planned for. There's always something that uh, creates a moment, either in exchanges between candidates or something happens or one answer really just shocks people. Um, and ideally, Martha and I are going to try to be uh, not the story. You know, just try to be the right. moderators that steer, that question, that ideally foster, um, you know, a back and forth on substance and that uh, voters can take away some some good things from the debate. Yeah, take us behind the scenes a little bit. Um, the audience, uh, the format for the audience and the venue itself, you know, being in Milwaukee, does that make a difference? The location in terms of, hey, these are the types of questions. And then what sort of parameters or instructions are there going to be it for the audience and who is it that's going to be in the audience yeah a lot of questions packed in there uh first of all milwaukee uh that same stage will be where the republican who wins accepts the nomination so much like cleveland was in 2015 where we started the debates there uh the nominee will accept the nomination uh on that same very stage so there's synergy there uh the candidates uh, will have guidelines. Um, there's a timer clock. Uh, answers are supposed to be 60 seconds. Uh, if your name is mentioned or you're part of a question, you get 30 seconds rebuttal. Uh, we're going to enforce the time limits. There'll be uh, a bell of some kind that lets... Um, lets candidates know when they're running over. Uh, and so everybody in this... in the studio in uh, rather the stadium will uh, hear and obviously at home will as well. The audience is going to be a mix. Each candidate uh, gets a certain number of tickets. It's all handled by the RNC. So uh, there are, I'm sure, delegates and big wigs and VIPs uh, from not only Wisconsin, but um, all around the country who will be coming uh, on behalf of the RNC. But it's not one candidate specific. It is split uh, about that. Um, let's see. What other question did you ask? Well, uh, <laughs> there were 12. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, it, will there be a break during the show itself? Because be having two commercial with breaks. Two commercial breaks, because I found it fascinating when talking with Senator Marco Rubio when he was running for president, the dynamics during the commercial break were as informative and interesting where Donald Trump was really kind of in the face or in the grill of Marco Rubio trying to throw him off his game, started talking about Melania and shoes and what kind of shoes does your wife like? And. And talking to Marco in retrospect, he said it was very distracting, which I think was the goal of what Donald Trump was trying to <laughs> to to accomplish. So, um, it, but they're free to do whatever they want at that point, correct? Uh, yeah, I mean, within reason. Most of them get uh, makeup touch up or uh, use the restroom. It's um, three or four minutes, uh, two times during the show. So the entire. Uh, debate runs two hours. Uh, probably first break happens at about, um, you know, a little after 30 minutes after the hour. And then the next one happens in the next hour, about 30 minutes down. So, um, yeah, I guess they could get in each other's face. Uh, we haven't really seen that in our, our debates, but uh, I, I know the one you're talking about. Um, and um, I, listen, I think that Donald Trump has been 
unique in his ability to uh, control the debate stage. Uh, he is very good in that in that environment, uh, in how he answers and also how he jabs other candidates. Uh, I think we don't know whether he's going to show up or not. We're going to be ready with two stacks of questions, one with the former president, one without. And, uh, and just like we were in Iowa, which was our second debate in the 2016 cycle, he boycotted that debate, uh, but didn't tell us until a few hours before we started. So we literally had two stacks of questions that we were going out to the right. moderator's desk with. And um, I think we'll know a little bit before then. Some of these candidates have never been on a big stage like this, let alone a debate. Um, you know, I think of Vivek Ramaswamy, who's become quite a voice. I mean, he's 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 made quite the inroads for somebody who's a, a newbie at this. He has. And, um, you know, he's very polished. Uh, I assume he'll do fine. Um, a guy that can is, you know, good on TV and good with sound bites. Uh, he can probably figure out the format. But it is a different muscle, as you well know. It's a different ability to react, especially if you're attacked in some way and come up with a retort uh, in a short amount of time. Ideally, we'd like to foster not the animosity, but the contrast uh, and the discussion candidate to candidate as much as we can. And so we're going to try to do that with, you can imagine, the biggest issues that Americans care about in any poll uh, will be our buckets of questions, as we call them, uh, throughout the debate. You also have uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, obviously, and Senator Tim Scott, who've done exceptionally well in debates. I actually went to the debate with uh, when Fox News uh, was carrying the the, uh, the gubernatorial uh, between Adam Putnam and and Ron DeSantis, and that was really his breakout moment. I don't know. Yeah, if you... Martha and I did that one. Yep. And and but he did so exceptionally well. Is the expectation sky high for him? Do you think or but he did really well. Now, Adam Putnam is far different than perhaps some of the other candidates he's up against this time. Yeah. And right. Adam Putnam is not uh, Donald Trump as far as uh, the ability to, to parry and kind of going back and forth. I think that uh, those debates and also the ones uh, he did against uh, Gillum in the general election and Charlie Crist just this last cycle. Uh, will help Governor DeSantis uh, because he knows that feeling of uh, the back and forth about the time limitations, etc. But um, I do think that he probably in this environment, as you look at latest polls with Chris Christie moving into second in the poll out today in New Hampshire, he probably needs a big moment. And I'm yeah. sure he's he's banking on trying to get one. Yeah. Well, it plays out 9 p.m. Eastern, uh, Wednesday, August uh, 23rd. Brett Baer, Martha McCallum leading the questioning here. And Brett, thanks so much for joining us. Give us uh, a, a little preview, a little peek at what's going to happen that night. You bet. Happy to be here. You're listening to Jason in the House. We'll be back with more right after this. All right, so let's chat now with Dagan McDowell. I, I'm so excited to have you get your analysis i started talking to you about the debate and they're like this is going to be this is a big moment you got people running for the presidency of the united states of america they all want to be the one that can go head to head essentially with trump and then beat trump and take on joe biden but 
you know, it's a two-hour debate, but there's a lot of people on that debate stage. And if President Trump isn't there, we don't – if he's not there, then I am confident enough to admit I have no idea how someone punches through. I Because I, I only remember – and not to compare the Republicans – to the Democrats, but Kamala Harris gets right. on that debate stage and socks it to Joe Biden about busing, and the media loses their minds about how tough she is. And that said nothing about her abilities. It said nothing about her talent, her know-how, her brain, nothing. It was a staged moment. I just – all of these candidates from the Republicans are going to get up there and say the right things about the economy because they can go after Joe Biden, who has been an unmitigated disaster in every way, shape, and form. But is it enough to really bring down President Trump's kind of runaway lead Yeah, right this now? is the problem, right, because uh, the Donald Trump loyalists – are truly loyal. Like I've never seen it in all of politics. I've never seen people more loyal. It does not matter what happens. They love and will fight and support Donald Trump. And so the question is, how do you, how do you get to Donald Trump-esque numbers without bashing Trump? You bash Trump, then they're going to work against you and hate your guts. And so how do you find that right balance? I think it's a very difficult um, hurdle to 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 overcome. Now, the idea and the notion that Donald Trump may not show up, he might show up and he might not show up. I mean, it w- there was a debate in the last cycle or, or two cycles ago, I should say, where it was literally five minutes before the debate and then Donald Trump decided, yeah, no, yes. And he literally didn't make the decision told, but, you know, literally less than five minutes ago. I think they need to have the podium there ready to go, whether or not he actually shows up. I don't know, but when the circus comes to town, <laughs> do you think he's not going to? I know one thing. <laughs> I know one thing. Never to try and predict anything <laughs> about That's what's predictable <laughs> Donald about Donald Trump. Trump, yes. And his voters. What I do find, or the American voter, what I do find utterly laughable, though, is that very clearly that and and you've seen this with Ron DeSantis the billionaire class the donors who have got, who got in his face early on and right. told him how wonderful he is and you're the chosen one and well why do billionaires think that they know politics. Why do billionaires think that they know what voters who actually have to commute to work for a living every day and are out there humping and grinding and trying to raise a family and make sure that their children are not indoctrinated by some left-wing nut, union-controlled teachers in public schools? Why do billionaires... I am not bashing people who work to make their fortunes. But why do billionaires think that they know politics and know the hardworking American voter better than, well, people who work in politics and people who are American voters? 
And I say that about Ron DeSantis, but also Glenn Youngkin. They had this big fundraiser right. for Youngkin out on Long Island and the man who founded Interactive Brokers. I heard him talking about Youngkin. He gave him a million dollars to his pack for Virginia. I'm born and raised Southside, Virginia. And, okay, I know you're not giving a million dollars for the betterment of Virginia. And then he had the audacity to say, well, Glenn Youngkin is just so impressive. He can be Donald Trump. He can be anybody. Don't you know he ran the Carlisle Group? And I said, yes, please get in front of the American people (laughs) and tell them, don't you know how impressive he is? He ran the Carlisle Group. And I assure you, the people I grew up with, who I know who live in my hometown, will invent new hand gestures to tell you to go (laughs) suck a toe. That's insane. And so I just find this this absolute comedy from these rich people who think that they can somehow pick the next president of the United States because Donald Trump proved this doesn't work anymore. Yeah, I, you know, in today's society, the communications the way they are, you do have to have a, a degree of name recognition. That's why celebrities, I think, do have a, a bit of a, a leg up. You have to have broken through. You know, there's some people who are running for president. I involved in engaged in politics, pay attention to it every day, all day, every day, and I'm like, I've never heard of this person. And so, how you break through and and get that, because my theory on this is that. Um, the intangibles end up winning it. You, you can't. There's a. You can't fake it. You you can't. Mm-hmm. People. The more they got to know, and the the example I use is Kamala Harris. When she first ran, she was like off the charts, raising the most money, biggest campaign event. Everybody thought, wow, she's impressive. She's the senator from from California. But then the Democratic voters got to know her. By the time she dropped out of the race in California, she was polling at eighth place. In California, her home state, because they actually got to know her. They started to listen to her. And she wasn't raising the money anymore because people said, oh, she's failing. She's terrible. Now, why Joe Biden picked her to be the vice president? I don't know. But I'm just saying. If he was going to. Why didn't he pick. They sort this stuff out. And authenticity, I think, wins the day. Why didn't he pick Karen Bass? Yeah. Why there were. If he was going. Why didn't he pick anyone? But he. We can go that's through the, a whole other. Yeah, that's a whole other um, rabbit hole. But I, authenticity, I think, wins the day. So these debates, you know, we're going to this debate, and and it is an opportunity for people to break up, but they get such a short amount of time, right? And and I think they need to prepare so that if Donald Trump is there or if he's not there, but the only thing you can prepare for if Donald Trump is there is that it's going to be, you, you can't predict it. It's like you just have to ask Marco Rubio, the senator from Florida, about that one. I mean. Talk about Donald Trump throwing him off his game. It's just, it was amazing. And if, because you're going to get called, you, you're going to get called names. And well, you, at some point. Yeah. And you, my reaction would be to laugh. laugh. I, again, but that's the authenticity that you're talking about yeah. is that if you try to react in a way that isn't your true self. I, I'm. I. There are a few people I'm interested to see. We were. I was talking about Glenn Youngkin. It's amazing what he did in Virginia. He won't be on the debate stage. Obviously, there's talk like after you get right. through these, this 
cycle of elections in Virginia that maybe he'll declare his candidacy. But he's known as a terrible retail politician in the state, despite what he was able to do. Uh, But you know who is not a terrible retail politician is Vivek Ramaswamy. He really seems to love being out with his family and out on the campaign trail and talking to the American people. Well, he likes policy. This is where I, I, I gravitate to those who really like and engage policy. You know, people like Tim Scott. I'm a big Ron DeSantis fan. He, I, I've served with him in Congress for years. He too knows policy. These people know policy, and I think that's that's good. You can't have a conversation with Donald Trump without him having an in-depth knowledge of actually what the policy is. It's even when he was when I very first met President Trump, uh, I could not believe. I, I sat down with him actually. He he just become the president. I was chairman of the oversight committee, and I said. Uh, Mr. President, I have seven things I'd like to share with you, seven things that nobody's ever talked to you about and had because they weren't tier one issues, but they're issues that we need to pay attention to. He said, fire away. And every one of those seven things, he I was amazed. Like we had jurisdiction over the post office. So I needed to talk to him about the postmaster general and some of the postal policies. And he knew right away. He said, now, as I started, he said, now remind me, the postmaster, what's her name? Like he knew enough about the post office that we had a female postmaster general. And I and then we got into the policy and and we spent, you know, 10, 15 well, minutes talking about it. It was impressive. I, I don't I don't know President Trump personally. I, I met him years and years ago with Melania actually at the Victoria's Secret Fashion Show. <laughs> I was covering it for Fox News for Neil Cavuto show. But I do know, and I've said this hundreds of times, I will talk about policy over personality. I'm not going to talk about the man's personality, but I will talk about policy. But I do know that something like the post office would, in the horrible way that it's run, because it speaks to the utter failure of the way government runs anything – Yes. That they do not know how to pick winners and losers, and they shouldn't have that power, and they shouldn't have that money. And the post office exemplifies everything that would irritate yeah. President Trump about government, big government, and bigger government. So the, and, the, the point is, he was somebody you could who already had a base of knowledge, had already uh-huh. thought about these types of things. There are some people. I think that get involved and engaged in politics mm-hmm. and debates are one very quick way to say, okay, you really don't have game because you really don't know. Again, I think this is why, to your point, Vivek Ramaswamy does exceptionally well because mm-hmm. he's such an accomplished person and he can articulate the message. But this is also why Kamala Harris was falling and faltering and falling down so badly. The only thing that she's good at, and you've seen glimmers of this, in the last few weeks, when she went down to Florida about the educational right. changes, she's good, and you saw it when she was in the Senate. She's good at lambasting people when it's race-based. Right. That's it. Yeah. That's it. She is not good at leading. She's not good at even beginning to comprehend 
even superficial policy issues. She's not good at explaining. You don't think she's good at artificial intelligence or border security? (laughs) But she has access to the very people who are developing these artificial intelligence bot, the chat bots. These are the leaders of AI in the nation, and they could simply explain it to her because they can explain it to five-year-olds, and she can't regurgitate that. But one thing about where we are in this country right now, I'm excited to hear the Republican candidates get up there and explain undoing what's been done in the last two and a half years. Because we right now are headed with the industrial policy and the funneling of trillions of dollars into a few industries uh, that are the the climate the climate crusading. It is it is very much like Mussolini's economic fascism. It is very much like communist China's corporatism, and that's on purpose. But I'm very excited to hear about conservatives undoing this because it's not just. It, it's not designed by these left-wing nuts to last a few years. It's a lot, It's designed to spend us into a, right. our, a, our grave, and it's designed to cement power yeah. for the Democrats and for the very few liberals in Washington and for the bureaucratic state for time. Yeah. In decades and decades into the future, and it has to be done, undone and undone quickly. Yeah, we, my personal belief, we have to starve the beast. And so part of what I want to hear from yeah. these is how and what do you cut? Now, there's some people that will say, oh, you just cut the EPA or you just cut this or that, but that barely makes a dent. You have to have some systemic changes in order to put us back on a trajectory of financial sanity. Of all the compliments, and I have lots, of President Donald Trump, the one thing I was frustrated about is that they didn't cut spending. And if you don't starve the beast, the beast grows. And that's what we've been seeing, and that's why Fitch finally came out and mm-hmm. downgraded the the credit rating of the United States of America because $32 trillion in debt, paying more than $2 billion a day in interest on that debt – that's the kind of question I want to have these people. Now, it's hard when you get a minute, minute and a half to answer. I understand that. But um, I, I think Brett Baer, Martha McCallum, they'll do a good job as best they can of keeping it on track. But the candidates tend to want to break out, right? They want to be able to interrupt and get that got you moment. But if it's too pre-canned, then it doesn't come off well. The best I think ever to happen as maybe a pre-canned line, but just delivered with pitch perfect was Ronald Reagan when he talked to, you know, when he's debating Walter Mondale and he famously said, I'm not going to exploit the youth and inexperience of my opponent. Right. It just totally turned. Everybody smiled. Everybody laughed. Even Walter Mondale started laughing and smiling about it because it was such a good, clever line. And he had obviously thought about it. And Ronald Reagan could deliver a line, but that was uh, unlike um, anybody else, and it was mano y mano, right. right? It was it was one on one. You're right. So, but don't I would say all of these individuals have to figure out a way to shine 
and represent themselves. And yeah. and I I don't really care to hear what they think about President Trump. No, no, like, that's where that's, they're going to get off the trails. It, you, yeah, yeah, yeah Chris try. Christie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that seems to be. <laughs> Whether, I've never had anybody come up to me and say, boy, if Chris Christie was the president, boy, I'm telling you, I, that would change the world. I've never had that conversation with anybody. No, my mother, who uh, is no longer with us, if you said Chris Christie to her, she'd be like, yeah, nice hug on the beach with uh, <laughs> President Obama. And I know it wasn't a hug. I know I understand it was Superstorm Sandy and all of that. But people who do not live in the Northeast, that is the only thing that they remember about yeah, him. Yeah. Just just dropping that one. Well, um, the show, uh, it starts Wednesday, uh, August 23rd, 9 p.m. Eastern. Brett Baer and Martha McCallum will host that. It's on Fox News. And then Fox Business. It's going to carry it. It's yep. going to carry the, the second debate, which will be at the Reagan Library. No, we're going to simulcast, I think, oh, you the are. debate. Okay. I'm pretty sure we're But they're going to host... Fox Business is going to host the second debate, which will be the latter part of September. In, uh, it's at uh, the, the Reagan, Reagan Library. Library in yes. So Dagan uh, hosts a show with Sean Duffy, The Bottom Line, 6 p.m. Eastern on Fox Business. Yes. Great show. Thank you, sir. I've been able to guest host with her. It's you got to come back. It's a fun show because not only do you get the business side of the equation, but kind of dive a little bit deeper to analyze it, talk also about the politics and its integration into to business. So it's a it's a great show and you and Sean are a good tandem to to host that show. It's real fun. So on Fox Business. Thanks for joining us and uh, the debate uh Wednesday. Can't wait. 23rd. Be good. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Well I think the thanks those uh who gave some comments about the debate, but now let's get ready for the debate. Again, Wednesday night, August 23rd, 9 p.m. Eastern. Gonna want to see this important part of our future and who the Republican nominee will be. It should be interesting at the very least. Hope you're able to watch it. Hope you're able to rate this podcast, subscribe to the podcast. I want to remind people that you can find more about uh, Fox News Podcasts over at foxnewspodcast.com. A lot of good ones, you know, Brett Baer and whatnot. There's some really good ones out there. Will Kane. Uh, Trey Gowdy. These are all good stuff. I hope you have a chance to, to, to subscribe and listen to those as well. Again, rate it, review it, subscribe. We'll be back with more next week. I'm Jason Chaffetz. This has been Jason in the House.